Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Good morning, everybody. I don't think my star is off a little bit, eh? Move that over here. I'm back. Sorry, I was, uh, so last week I was feeling kind of sick, but what the deal is here, I guess, is we've got these forest fires uh, right down the road from us, and so it's been very hard for me to breathe because I pretty much had my um, asthma under control for the past few years, but we've got lots of smoke in the air, so the air quality is really, really low, and, uh, so yeah, a lot of low, low air quality um, out here. So it's been making me hard to breathe. So last week, my sickness was, I had like a cold, but it was double bad because of the the air quality. Um, anyhow, so survived that um, air quality. Uh, still really bad. I, I woke up this morning and there was ash all over my car. Um, so that was kind of crazy all the ash um, over the car. Um, yeah, anyhow, there you go. That's what happened there. Uh, what else, what else, what else? Just been parenting. Doing the, the parenting thing, living my life. Um, lots going on. They uh, premiered a musical about my mother in uh, the UK that Elton John, uh, is working on uh, him and, and his, his friend Jake wrote, did like from Scissor Sisters did like wrote 15 songs uh, <laughs> based on my 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 parents life which is really weird uh, it's something that I never thought I'd say um, I recently got in touch with some of the folks from the musical so um, I might get a chance to see it I don't know yet fingers crossed we'll let you know um, yeah, I had a little shaving incident and uh, had to cut it lower and lower and then it got really low and then I looked like I just had a goatee and like I was about to sit in my pickup truck and do a, do a YouTube video about politics. So I decided to just shave it all off for right now. So there you go, there's baby Jay. Um, I'm gonna do the Don Johnson five o'clock shadow. Maybe get some white blazers, uh, no socks, that kind of thing. Um, my couch sinks, so I'm like, so I'm like, so anyway, also great. <laughs> By the time of the talk, I'll be like this, and then you know, when Jesus then what? It'll just be a little hat. Um. So yeah, so. Lots going on, um, and I, I'm going to tell you guys, like, honestly, it, it, that is, uh, it's a lot to take in when other people um, tell your stories, you know? Tell your stories and tell your, tell your, you know, embrace your mother, and you, and you kind of have to share your parents with the world. It's, um, it's really weird, so you can either not be, you can either be, 
Oh, thank you, Zoe, for the, the kind comment. You can either be, um, you know, you love your parents, but then everybody loves them more, or they hate your parents and they hate them. You know, you can never, it's, it's really kind of weird. It's really strange. I've had to deal with, talk a lot about it in my, with my analyst um, about this kind of stuff, because it really does, it's really strange. You know, it's not normal. So there you go. You have to live with this and it, it can cause a lot of like weird, like inner thoughts and stuff. And, you know, feel like, you know, you're missing out on a part of your mother's life, even though she's gone, but it's happening again. And it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, but we're also still hard at work at our dock, which I'm really excited about. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping that I can get my dad to be interviewed. I've been trying, um, but I don't think he wants to do it, but I hope he will do it. Um, Cause I think it's really show side of him that not a lot of people have seen or a lot of people don't understand. Um, anyway, um, that's a whole nother story. So here we are folks. I've been reading. I have not seen the musical. I hope I get to see it. Um, it's in the UK, so um, I'll have to go to England um, to see it. So uh, we'll see. I've, I've talked with a few of the people who are writing and producing it, and, um, and we'll see, yeah. Um, anyhow, so what are we doing here? Um, we're doing revolution, folks. We are doing the revolution. We're doing it the only way we know how right now, and that is online. Um, so here we are, the dream we all dreamed of. Um, what else is going on? I just we're trying to keep everybody up to date. The world is a mad place, you know. I just saw this thing on the uh, about. I was watching this thing about how they didn't realize they, you know, that our vaccine, our vaccinations didn't keep us from being contagious. And that wasn't told to us, and we all had vaccines. And I think that was kind of weird that you no know, people aren't talking about that. Um, <laughs> I just saw Donald Trump say that we needed to, you know, figure out a way to get together and 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 have a, a, a get get countries to talk, get the you know get Ukraine and Russia to have a conversation and try to end this thing in peace. Which it's like, okay, so the, the weirdest world is weird, man. The world just gets weirder and weirder. And um, just things you don't expect happening all the time. It is just, those are two things that are really bizarre to me. Um, so anyhow, I can see I already lost a person because I said something semi-conservative. I'm not a conservative. I'm a leftist, I promise. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to talk to you guys about and... and um, um, Our friend Steve um, uh, is has uh, has said I could talk to you guys about this, but um, just found out that he has uh, stage four cancer, and um, that's that's not a positive uh, not not a positive thing, obviously, and. Um, Steve Peters, and, and, and I'm just going to ask you all, like, we, you know, if you pray, 
please let's let's get people together who pray to pray for Steve. You know, I don't pray that much, but this has gotten me back to actually praying and and lifting Steve up. And you know, one of the reasons and one of the things I've been doing with this is you know Steve's been like another family member to me, like a you know like an adopted father figure and. Um, and, uh, I don't know, this is just tough because this, uh, you know, my mom also who had stage four cancer and it brings back a lot of hard things and it's really hard on him. He's really going through a hell of a lot. He's getting treatment right now. And just ask everybody in the community and, and uh, this part of this, listening to this and share this with your friends is to please pray for Steve. Um, He's, he's pretty sick, and he has lived. He is a living miracle. He's lived through a lot, and one of the things I've been trying to kind of think about through this is, is, um, is you know, just like what would my mom do? How would my mom handle this situation, you know? And so um, it's strange because I've also been um, studying more Hegel, and it's actually kind of like my faith has really been like, revived um, from Hegel, you know? So um, it's interesting how that works, how like reading like philosophy gets your faith to change, you know? And also thinking about my mother, I think I talked about this two weeks ago. Um, you know, one of the things that really allowed my mom to love people so much was that she had this faith, you know, she had this like really cool faith and she really believed in people and really loved people so much. And I think that's why they're making musicals about her um, and things. Cause I think she got Christianity at such a deep level of what it really was. And, you know, she was a realist in a lot of ways. I don't think people realize that, but you know, she, she she would often give me very common sense answers to, to, to tough problems. Um, and I think you'll see a lot of that um, when our doc comes out um, about what a neat lady she was, not just not just what you see in the press or reading books and, and, and things like that, but but who she was personally. And um, so I talked to Steve on the phone last night, and, you know, and I said, you know, I don't know how to be like the positive, like my mom was always this positive force in people's lives. I said, but I, and he said he was feeling scared. And I said, well, I can be scared with you. I can be there with you. I can feel that with you. And, and that's, you know, my place there. Uh, I don't think I've ever been the average, like what people want to call a pastor. And I don't like to use that term for my work anymore. Um, but for me, I've always been more of like I can mourn. It's easier for me to mourn with people and, and to worry with people and to share those, those go through that with them. I'm, I've never been the one who's, it's always hard for me to see the bright side. Um, but it's also nice when you see the bright side. And, and if anybody's can, you know, seen miracles in their life, it's Steve. So be praying for him and his loved ones right now. And uh, I wanna see him beat this thing really, really bad. Anyhow, um, so please, he's 
he's a big part of this. Like I, he's been such a help to me over the past couple of years when things have seemed to fall apart. He's been there. And uh, so, yeah, anyhow. Um, here we are um, today. We're going to talk a little bit about the, about the church and about the tradition of, of, of the Christianity tradition. And um, maybe this will be old hat for some of you, new hat for others. Um, for me, this is, this is kind of a thing of what I've been getting out of the... Uh, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Todd McGowan. Uh, he's a philosopher, and um, I've been listening to a lot of his podcasts recently. Um, podcasts are really great for dyslexic people. And listening to his podcasts about Hegel's faith and about contradiction and, um, you know, even um, psychoanalysis. And it's been really, really fantastic. And so that, that also mixed with this book I've been reading about Hegel, I meant Hegel, um, about Paul Tillich's life. A friend of his wrote a book about his life. And reading about... Uh, Tillich's life, it has been really great because it's been really, it's really personalized uh, this great theologian uh, for me to see like what he struggled with and what he went through. And uh, even him dealing with the loss of his own mother was very related to that. Because um, he, he said he felt like his world kind of fell apart when his mother passed. And honestly, I feel like, you know, I've been kind of floating in like purgatory or something ever since my mother died. Um, so it's, it, the, the, that's what today's, these, those are the folks that have inspired today's conversation. And of course, the, the old, good old Bible. Um, so uh, organ, unorganized religion um, is what I'm going to call this. Uh, no, I, mean, I don't know what we're going to call this. Josh names them and I like what he names them, but, um, what I mean is when I say unorganized religion, it's so funny. We used to like have different things like destroying religion since 1994 or um, unorganized religion. I think we had one tagline that said unorganized religion or disorganizing religion since uh, 1994. I always think of Beavis and Butthead and they're in this, they're in this 7-Eleven, I think. And they, they kind of think, we're just here to break stuff. Um, so... Sometimes I feel like that. And, and I'm not here to break stuff. I'm here to hopefully give us... Uh, what I like about Pete Rollins' work is in radical theology is that it always... It seems to always go, like, come back and get a wider shot of biblical stuff, of, 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 of the biblical text, of the ideas and the thoughts and... and, 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 and and it kind of embraces it a bit more in a way that allows us all to kind of have this, this clear thought rather than just like in there looking at the text like that. Because that's how I like to look at the texts, you know. That's how I like to do scholarship is getting, you know, get out the word studies and all this stuff. and But then you got to kind of back things up a little bit and see what's being said um, in these stories and in these letters and, you know, and so that's what I, we're going to do today. Um, so one of the things I'm going to start with, and this is what was interesting to me, is because I was listening to this talk about Hegel and how 
he was drawn to this idea of Christianity. Um, and what really drew him to the idea of Christianity was that God was humiliated on the cross. You know, this humiliation of God, that God shares in the suffering with us somehow, that God is humiliated on the cross. Um, also, this idea of this love that, that seems to be really powerful, this idea, this concept he felt like of Christianity had this really cool concept of love, and I agree. And, and why he kind of subscribed to this idea. And he did this later in his work because originally he just put religion, he thought Christianity was just like every other religion, but somehow through his work, Christianity became uh, kind of special to him. And, um, and it's special to me, but of course I was raised in it as well. Um, but one of the things they were talking about is that uh, the, Todd McGowan was talking about was this idea that that uh, Hegel wasn't so much drawn to this idea of organized religion, like this big machine that I think a lot of us think of when we hear the word church nowadays. You know, um, like it's a machine and all the different cogs and all the different denominations are even if they, they don't seem to work together sometimes, even if they're the opposite, they're still kind of like disagreeing in all the places and doing the things. And it's like this machine, this organization. A lot of us grew up with it where it was a place that we went to on Sunday and maybe Wednesday and maybe Wednesday night even. Um, but this idea that when Matthew, in Matthew 18, 20, where it says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there. I will be there. And what's interesting about this, and it's just a kind of a little throwaway verse if you're reading it within its context. You know, there's other things being said about judgment and binding and loosing and all this kind of stuff in, that, in Matthew 18. Um, and, and so Matthew 18, 20 is not just for tiny churches anymore. <laughs> it's not just for little revolutions. Um, but where two or three are gathered together, I am there. And I think one of the revolutionary ideas about this is too, is because it's talking about buying and loosing and forgiving and people who've made mistakes in the church and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, bringing a few people together, having a conversation and the spirit is there. But uh, for a lot of us, I don't know if we, we, we grasp the idea of, how the Spirit came, what we would be known as the Holy Spirit or, you know, um, the Holy Ghost, if you grew up evangelical, Southern evangelical. Um, this two or three gathering together. And it's kind of a revolutionary idea. And so I'm going to go through a few verses right now that, that kind of wake us up to the reality of what this really means. And that this kind of thinking is a bit radical and it's a bit unorganized religion. And when Jesus comes in, he really does like, I think if even, and I didn't even plan this in my talk, but I think if when we think of when he goes to the temple and he flips the tables, which were probably just actually rugs on the ground, but when he throws the rugs and makes a whip out of the, out of the rope and all that stuff, um, you know, when he does that, he's, he's changing things. He's breaking an organization. He's breaking tradition. He, he's angry that they, they're saying that they're 
you know, sacrifices that are sold in the temple are better than other people's sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. So any virtue signaling or things like that, any pride or any secret way of getting in, Jesus is saying, no, this isn't how it is. And he, he turns everything upside down. Now, this is kind of crazy because, you know, we live in a place where if you went into a church and you started flipping tables, you would be seen as a madman and asked to be taken out of the, <laughs> out of the church, probably be banned from the property and that type of thing. Um, and we've become this very, like, the church has become this very, like, weird legalistic idea of like rules and regulations and, and based on what denomination it is or based if it's conservative or if it's if it's progressive you know we have different rules and regulate different ideas and and things like that but we've got a lot of um got a lot of rules a lot of regulations a lot of like order and it seems like christ came and kind of just threw things out you know i said well you've heard it said hate your enemy. I say, love your enemy. You've heard it. I say, you know, and, and made things a lot different. Change things, you know. Um, I, I always think about when, when the Joker in uh, The Dark Knight's talking to Batman. He goes, you've changed things, you know. You've made things different. And, um, and that's one of the things of when Jesus saying two or three are gathered together. When I was thinking about the traditional church, you know, and and I was thinking that well, what's cool is my I had a buddy from um, Atlanta. Well, not Atlanta. He lives in Chicago now, but one of my original um, member, uh, one of my original staff members, uh, came into town, and we hung out. His name's Brent Kaysen, and uh, we were just talking about Revolution Atlanta and what we did in Atlanta, and. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and when I look back at the work we did in Atlanta, I'm really proud of that work. And I'm going to tell you some reasons why in some ways that I wasn't even able to see it through some of this talk. But, you know, there were other churches around us, and I remember there were these great churches that had, like, coffee shops in them and meetup groups and like an internet cafe. This was back in the day. I don't even think I was online yet. I, I mean, I, we were on, Revolution was online, but I was not like on any social media at this point. You know, internet, all this stuff. So you like, you could come there, you could work there during the week, you could do all this stuff. And, and I was like, oh, and I remember being like really kind of jealous of this, these different communities that had all this cool stuff because Revolution would just meet in like places that would have us. So we would meet, we met in a, uh, the Masquerade, which is a nightclub in Atlanta. We met there for a long time. Um, we met in the Star Bar once. We met in all these different bars all over town. Uh, we met in coffee shops, you know, we met in the homeless uh, ministries and wherever we could meet, we, you know, over time, we, you know, we moved around town, but we were there and we were part of the community. And what I didn't realize is how powerful that was for us to be in a community and to be part of a community and not be the community. And what I was kind of jealous of were these other communities that were churches that were building community with just in that church. And then you went outside, you lived your life, and then that was your main community. And for Revolution, we were part of community. And here is, you know, looking back, I go like, oh, man, that was really great that we were doing that, that we were part of a community. You know, we were spending time and holidays. And I mean, my friend Chuck was coming home and 
staying with my mom and me over Thanksgiving and my family and his girlfriend would come and we'd hang out together. You know, and he never came to Revolution Church. I think he came to a couple shows, but you know, the idea was is that we weren't just this meeting on a week. You know, we weren't just this. We were we were in a community. We weren't the community. And I think that's the issue is that we often look at the church to be a community. And somehow we thought we are the community. But what you see is when Jesus is saying there's two or three are gathered together, he said, you know, you don't have to be in the temple. You don't have to be in these places of worship. And I'm going to show you that a little bit further. Um, so, you know, you think about all these old traditional churches that have the buildings and the coffee shops and the water slides. Oh, wait, water slides. That's just me, I think. Um, <laughs> but, you know, these places that we go to, um, almost like church is like a retreat or like a, a center of worship. And, um, and I started thinking about the woman at the well and, um, and John, which I'm always surprised that, that the woman at the well's uh, story is in John. For some reason, I don't know why. I think it's because John, that's one of my favorite stories, but John's not one of my favorite books. Um, but what I love is my friend, Reverend Vince. Re the, John is his favorite gospel. Have you guys seen that meme where it's like the conservative golfer and it's like the gospels and then it's like this crazy guy who looks like Santa Claus in a flower kind of suit and it says the gospel of John. Um, it's pretty good. Um, but I, I was thinking about the story of the, the woman the Samaritan woman at the well. And um, and then in John 4, 21, you know, Jesus is sitting there and he's talking to her. I might even go up a little bit before that. Yeah, let, let's go to, uh, let's go to do, 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 half of 19 and over to 20. So, so the woman, the Samaritan woman goes, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on the mountain, but you say that the place is where people must worship is in Jerusalem. And listen to this, and this is really great. And what's really great about this is who Jesus is telling this to. Like, this is who he's revealing this brand new truth to, is this woman at the well who's there in the middle of the day because she's an outcast to a community. So this is another flip of the tables, guys. Like Everybody wants to just focus like, well, then Jesus got mad and he flipped the tables. Jesus is always flipping the tables. When Jesus says, you've heard it said, when he's saying the verses said, the prophet said, but I say, he's flipping tables, okay? Jesus is, is, is unorganizing things that have been organized. And the problem is, is we are like, you know, we're, we're like that, you know, control-needing worker, you know, comes in, oh, you know, oh, there's, a, I listen to this nighttime bedtime story with my kids about this, um, it's a little, like, uh, it's a classroom pet, and he's always, and there's this one teacher who always comes in, in the classroom, and it makes everybody, and she blows whistles, and she's always like, this classroom is not clean enough, it needs to be more clean, there are kids running in the hall, you know, she's always trying to keep everything in control, and, and, and perfect, and structured, you know, and she's always giving the other teachers a hard time, and, um, and I think that we're often like that in the church is like, Jesus goes, and then we go, all right, well, we got to reset, set everything up, maybe set it up a little bit different, but now, okay, now this is the way it's going to be set up from now on. Like, we just love to be like, you know, listen to all these talks about getting rid of the law. And then we like to just set up a brand new law because, oh, well, this is what Jesus said. So this must be the new law, or this must be the, this is the fulfillment of the law. And so now we're just going to create a new law. 
And if you read like the Apostle Paul, he doesn't have a whole lot good to say about the law. And even Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish law, I came to fulfill the law. But to fulfill something means it's, you fulfilled it, it's done. You've worked it out. But we like this structure, you know, and that's often what legalism can do is we create a structure and then we create rules and it's who's an in and who's out. And then we need a reformation. I mean, that's why um, Phyllis Tickle used to say every 500 years there needs to be a big reformation. The church needs to have a garage sale and get rid of the stuff that doesn't work anymore. And so here we are. And so Jesus is, is, is talking to this, this woman who's an outcast and he's saying, you know, she goes, and you say people must worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Now, okay, we get that. But he goes, believe me, the hour is coming when you will not when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor Jerusalem. So Jesus is saying, it's not about these places. The time is coming where it's no longer about these places. You'll just worship, you don't, this, this, these facilities, these special holy spots are done. You know, this, this time's coming, and he's revealing this to her. And this is like a huge revelation. And we can take this for granted because we've grown up reading this kind of stuff and hearing these type of stories. But what I'm trying to invite you to do is, is have a radical theological moment with me, to have a new, put on glasses and see it in a new way, or take off your glasses, see it in a new way. You know, maybe it needs to be a little bit more blurry than all structured and, and together. So, you know, and I'm thinking about this going like buildings and days and all these things that we build, you know, I mean, I even think for my father when he was, you know, building Heritage USA and PTL and all these things, it was like this idea that he felt like he had to do something for God and he had to make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And what I realized was like kind of the opposite. And I did this kind of just haphazardly was I got to just not have a place, you know. I mean, Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. You know, Jesus is like Jesus is, is, is talking to the Samaritan woman because he had to go through the Samaria. He had to stop there at the woman at the well. He had to go to these different places. He's never, Jesus never is saying like, oh, I've set up a house now, a house church that you guys can all come and see me once a week and we can have a conversation. Usually Jesus have a conversation. And, and then in the middle of the conversation, he'll often walk away or go do something else. He's at a party. He's having dinner with tax collectors um, you know, he's walking to Jerusalem, he's going to these different places, he's praying on a mountain, you know, I mean, there, there's all these different places that Jesus is just, Jesus is like the church on the move, church in the wind. I used to go to a, a biker church called Church in the Wind in, uh, in Arizona when I was younger. Um, you know, and it, sometimes I feel like we have this fear that if we don't have this habit, if we don't have this tradition, if we don't have a practice, like this constant practice, we'll lose God. We'll lose this concept of loving others. We'll lose this concept of a bigger truth. We'll lose this concept of grace. You know, if we don't have this tra tradition, this, 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 this mode of being constantly to move in. But what I, what I want you to think about is this, is if our faith is based on big communities and buildings and traditions and practices, is it really faith? 
Is it really that which is greater than ourselves? Is it really something that's infinite? Or is it just this temporal thing that allows us to feel a certain way? You know, like I remember when I was doing a, uh, I was speaking in Mexico and I wanted to go look at some of the churches. And you know, and you go into these churches and they're gold and they have like these weird wax people behind glass that are like supposed to represent dead people and stuff. And, you know, and I'm walking through and I had my hat on and the a nun comes up and she goes, you're gonna have to take your hat off, you know? Of course she had her head covered and I wanted to go all sorts of scriptural with that, but I didn't, I took my hat off, you know, when in Rome. And it felt really special, you know, the incense is burning, it smells good, there's candles, there's all this kind of stuff going around. And it's not quite, it's not much different. I mean, it's like a God museum. And it's not that different in evangelical churches. They just have bigger places. They're they usually like big warehouses and things like that, but they have the coffee shop and the different things, the traditions and the worship and the music, and we all face a certain way and pray a certain way and sing a certain way. We still have these things that, that we feel like really connect us. But what I'm saying is, is, is these things are great. I don't have any problem with those tools. But what I'm saying is these aren't things that we need to connect us. Revolutions really never had music. We've never had music, you know? And I get texts and emails from you guys all the time telling me what a difference that being a part of revolution has meant in your life. You know, when I was doing revolution, I was also in a band and there was times I would be playing with my band in a bar and like the bar, you know, the bartender would come up and say, hey, you know, I'm going through this. I don't really pray, but would you pray for somebody for me? You know, and things like that. And that was just being out there in the community. And I, oh man, I really wish I would have understood this a little bit more when I was in it. Because to me, I look back and go, that's what we were called to do. We were called to be like, I always think about Mayberry, you know, and you've got the, you know, the town store, the barber shop, the town drunk, <laughs> the sheriff's office, you know, the, everybody's got kind of like their thing because it's this community. And you have a church. So you go off and go to church on Sunday. Oh, Aunt B made the apple pie for Sunday church. You know, whatever, after church. And everybody's in the community. And that's what I was thinking is that we all need to be a part of like this community of humanity. And we can bring the spirit with us. And I think this is what's kind of cool because I've never been a big, like I've never, I don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. You know, I don't think you usually hear me talk, but today I'm going to talk about that. And, 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 because I, I realize that the, this is a big part of what Jesus was saying to this woman at, at the well. Where he's saying, you know, something's about to happen. Something big is going to happen. It's not going to matter where you worship. It's not going to matter where you are. And in a way, you know, I say, oh, we want to be Christ-like. And then we shut ourselves in a building and don't hang out with anybody. Like, as a teenager, I remember, and even when I started Revolution, I remember one of the pastors at Revolution was like, Jay, you know, you're always hanging out of these coffee shops and hanging out with people and doing all this stuff. You know, I don't know, man. It's a slip. You could be, you could get yourself in trouble going out there all the time. You know, we should focus on the service. And I never, I always felt like the majority of what I did was being away from that building. You know, the best conversations I had was away from the building, the best relationships I made. And the same was with Revolution. I mean, yeah, I gave some good talks at, at these different places. I'm not going to lie. I was happy with a lot of my conversations, a lot of the talks I gave. But the majority of the work we did was outside of the building. And it wasn't like, oh, we're going to save all these people, you know. It was just, we're going to love people. And we're going to be there and we're going to, you know, we're just going to let our lives speak. And we're going to love people and be in their lives and care about them. And in my own way, it was kind of this 
reformation of saying what what the church could be, what Christianity could be. It could be something that moves outside of the four walls. It could be something that moves outside of a denominational setting. It's something that moves outside of that. Um, so Jesus is telling, there's not going to be any more special places. I was thinking buildings and, and days, like, you know, we have Sunday is the day we all get together, you know. But I remember there was times where <coughs> revolution had to meet on Wednesdays. We had to meet on Thursdays. We met on Tuesdays. The day never seemed to really make a difference. Um, and, and one of the other things I was thinking about is too, is like I've seen a lot of people, there's a lot of gurus out there and there's a lot of people doing hallucinogenics and stuff. And oh man, I, I did this, you know, special, I don't know what they, they call the hallucinogenics anymore, but I don't pay that much attention to it. But people doing it, they're like, oh, we're going to find God. You can find God if you take this ketamine or if you take this or whatever and um and for me like when i did hallucinogenics and did drugs and all those things that's not where i found god where i found god where god showed up to me whatever that is the ground of being or love or or hope or that which is you know that which is outside of existence whatever you want to say showed up to me within those moments of suffering you know also in those moments of like coffee shops and bars and, you know, bars mostly. In, you know, one-on-one -on -one in-person conversations, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't during a worship service or it wasn't in a beautiful building or it wasn't, you know, in a small group. Um, and I'm not saying those are wrong, but what I'm saying is, is that we've got to not let that... So for me, what I was thinking during that time in Atlanta, which was probably around, probably between 80, I mean, 80... 98 to 2005, 2006, you know, what I was always thinking and feeling nervous about, it's funny because there would be legalistic Christians that I didn't like to be around because I was actually felt bad. Like I felt like I wasn't good enough. It wasn't that I didn't like them. It was that I actually felt shame in my own life. Um, but I also knew that shame wasn't something that probably should come out of this, this belief system at the time. And of course, my faith was a lot different at that time as well. But, but this constant like jealousy of, of the churches that are meeting and that had buildings and did all these things, why I was just like this guy moving around with my staff and we were just, you know, we had a, you know, uh, our friend Stu Damron let us have an office in his, you know, in a, where, where they worked on cars, you know, so we, we like body shop. So we literally had an office in a body shop. Um, you know, and most of our meetings always took places in bars and pubs, like staff meetings and stuff. Um, and I just wish I would have known a little bit more what I know now and appreciated that time a little bit more and been like, thank God we're not in those buildings. Thank God we're not stuck there. Thank God we don't have those bills to pay. We're able to move freely with these people and be in a community and be a part of a community and spend time with people who would never step in the doors of a building never came to a service, you know? Um, and so when I said like, you know, finding God, often I found God in the midst of hell. I mean, when, I, when, when people came to me and said, hey, I've had this happen a couple times where I was at bars and either managers or bartenders asked me to pray with them, which is, seems odd, but, you know, or pray for them or pray for a family member. You know, they were going through hell. They were going through a rough time. They were scared. And they were saying, I'm reaching out to even the unknown at this point. I'm desperate. What, what's out there? You know, 
And I was able to be there and be a part of that. And how grateful I am now and, and honored I am to have had those moments with those people and those people's lives. And look back at that with great. Also, I remember like in, in Revolution New York, I, you know, you take the train everywhere. And so you'd, I'd see people from Revolution, from the services, the community there that would meet on Sundays. And people would get really nervous sometimes when they see me because he hadn't been to the service in a while. Like, oh man, sorry, I haven't been to church in a while. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Revolution isn't a place that you need to worry about being at every week. We're there when you need us. Like, it's not, you know, we're, no one's going to make you feel guilty. I don't ever want anybody to feel guilty or feel bad for not being here or not watching or not being a part of that. That's not how I feel that we're called to operate. I don't feel like that's what Christ showed me. I don't feel like that's what Paul shows me. I don't believe that that's what the New Testament shows me. Um, when Christ comes, is that it's not about that. We're here. We love you. We accept you. You are accepted if you're here or not. And I think that's something that we don't grasp a lot of in the church today. You know, it's, it's hard for us. It's hard for us to not, you know, I, I guess what I'm doing is I'm just going to kick back a little bit against some of these traditions, and I don't think there's anything wrong with them. And in some ways, I think some of them are very important and really beautiful. I mean, I wear, you know, saints and stuff like that. I got praying hands, you know, and all that stuff. You know, I, I like it. It's cool. I, I, I appreciate it. Um, but it's not a necessity. And that's pretty cool. Um, you know, so John 16, we're going to go back over to John and, uh, John 16 is really cool too. And I think this, this answers the question of why, you know, why did Jesus die? You know, um, why was, what happened? Why was there this humiliation of God on a cross, dying like a common criminal, cursed on a, hanging on a tree type of thing? Um, and, and I was reading uh, in, in, in John 16, um, and 16, uh, five or four. I did not say those things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. Jesus is resurrected. He's back. He's getting ready to go back to heaven or wherever. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate, which is the spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, and where he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer, about judgment because the rulers of this world have been condemned. Now, rulers of this world, let's stay focused on that for a second. 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And I find this is extremely interesting. I cannot say them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For will not speak of his own, but will speak whatever he ears, hears. I'm sorry, these pronouns are in the Bible. I'm, I'm just reading the Bible, just word for word. And he will declare to you these things that are to come. Glorif he will glorify me because will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus saying, I got to go. The resurrection, what the resurrection does, and I feel like we don't do this also enough in the church, is points back to the crucifixion. It points back to the death. It's like Jesus saying, this is why I died. This is what happened. This was the humiliation. This is, you know, we always are like, he won, and he got up, and he said, here I am, you know, and that's not what's readily happening here. He said, I got to go. I'm still going. You know, I may have won over death, but I'm still going. So you can have the spirit. You can have that inner peace. You can have that acceptance. You can have this no longer feeling that you need to have a special place to go to to talk to God or have to have a special prayer or a special sacrifice or any of these things. You know, I've got to go because all I have is yours. And for me to give that to you, I can't be here. Now, that's a pretty amazing statement to these guys at this point. You know, I said that this will take what is mine and declare it to you. And it's strange because like recently I just had one of the talks I gave a couple of weeks ago, we put up a clip and I was talking about love and God being love and all this stuff. And first, uh, I think it's first John. Um, and I got this like really angry legalistic pastor who's like, what about this verse? What about this verse? And so I went and looked at his Facebook page and it was all about judgment and wrath and condemnation. Obviously he believes in atonement theory. And what I couldn't grasp was like, how are you obsessed with you know, praying for the wrath over, I think it was like LA. I pray that God's wrath comes over LA and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, how can you say that when you think, is it, it always goes back to this, was Jesus's death not good enough? Was, was, if that's where you think the wrath was going, then why is there still wrath left? Why is this, it's like nothing is quite good enough. Like they give all these supernatural, wild ideas, magical thinking, yet it's not consistent. And for me, I, I like consistency. You know, even though some of this stuff is wild to talk about and hard to grasp, I still like to have some somewhat of a consistent, I mean, that's why I study philosophy is because it might seem insane at, at the beginning, but then it starts to, oh, starts to click together and there's like consistency there. And then they go, oh, uh, contradiction. And then there's truth above contradiction. And you go, how does this work? And you keep reading and studying. And you go, oh my God, there it is. You know, the dialectic, the dialectic is true. It really works. You know, so much to the point where I went to therapy called dialectic therapy, you know, like embracing two opposites and coming together and the higher truth and helping me feel better and accept this life better, you know, so, so all these different things, but why, you know, so here we are is, is, um, we look at the reaction of the temple, um, but we also have to look at resurrection as temporary. We always, oh, resurrection is a you know, Jesus, I am here, but I'm leaving. And it points back to the death. But that death is what gives us the spirit. And I don't think we get that. I don't think we understand that. I don't think we quite grasp that idea. That when we talk about grace, when we talk about you are accepted. You know, when we talk, when I talk about that tillux term, you're accepted no matter who you are and what you're all, you know, the Bible even talks about it. So, you know, when we talk about those hard truths, you know, we, we don't realize that it comes from these type of things. Like Jesus saying, it doesn't matter where you worship anymore. You don't have to have these buildings. You don't have to have these groups. You don't have to have these organizations. You know, you don't, 
everybody was like, you know, I feel like we're always like putting together books to be like, this is how you find God, you know? And one of the things that philosophy and radical theology has, has been for me is not how I find God, but how I learn to embrace the lack and the lack of God as well. And that, that spirit sometimes for me is, is the mustard seed, the tiny thing, the grace and the love that moves beyond something that I understand. So, so Jesus, here's the spirit, and what we learn from Paul, even when you go further down this, and what Jesus is saying here, and what we learn through Paulinian uh, theology um, yeah, teaching is there's no location, there's no priests, there's no favorites, and really there's no in and out. Now, we want to say there's an in and out, but if you really go through those things, that's never up to you. <laughs> um, we're always called to love beyond love our neighbor. Oh, love your neighbor as yourself, but your neighbor is also your enemy. Do pray for those who persecute you. You know, what I mean, it's like Jesus flips those tables, flips the rules, flips the law. You know, and then says, "I'm gonna." There's things that you're gonna hear, but you're not ready to hear. So, like, even if you like just look at that there, but then just go to Paul, you see things happening. You see like. The, you see that this idea of the inclusion of faith gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And people go, oh, you guys are just letting everybody in. Oh, you're just trying to make the Bible say what you say. Well, this is, I still have things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And then we see Paul saying, well, Gentiles are in, man. We're all together. You know, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ. You know, Paul's saying all this stuff. Um, and, th and this is, uh, you know... So we don't need the gold, no gold rooms, no museums of God. You know, we don't, you know, it's like, I also think about the Rock and Roll Museum and, and, and they show all these things and they always show like, oh, they're Joe Strummer's guitar and they got, you know, the Clash, you know, they got the Sex Pistols drum set and all this stuff. But the thing that's missing is the people. And it's like, oh, there's a shirt they wore. Oh, they wore that shirt. Oh, that's so cool. But really it's like, but what's missing is the music, you know, the person, the, the, the creativity. You know, that's not there. It's just like you're looking at, like, just things that passed by greatness. And I feel like often the church is like, oh, look, someone painted this, you know, oh, we got this, you know, and it's just like we're like these mausoleums to God, these mausoleums to religion, the mausoleums to your denomination, you know, um, how to be taught how to be a good follower of a denomination and a perfect thought, but not how to be a human being, not how to live within community. Often, I feel like we actually teach people not, we, I remember one time I, I said, uh, mental masturbation. I said, it's a bunch of mental masturbation at this Christian festival. And they were so worried about my speaking that they had one of their head guys come and speak with me. And I said that, and he was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just said that. And I'm like, when, how are Christians supposed to be the most naive people in the world. And why would we create, or we create our children to be naive and then we go to school and we say, oh, they say, oh my gosh, and we hear about sex, and we're oh my gosh, I'm so shocked. And you know, and then we leave church and we go crazy because we're like, oh my gosh, because we've been taught to be naive. We've, oh, these are bad, stay away, you know, and you go, wait, 
this seems to be like humanity. These seems to be very human things. You know, this escapism, this wanting to fill this lack and all these things seem to be this experience of living life and learning how to live life. Yet you're saying, I need to be the naive one when we should be the least naive of them all. You know, I think that was one of the things that was great about Dr. King and, and people like that, as they weren't naive. You know, and we build a Christianity of naivete and, oh, we're all innocent. We all have our stuff. You know, it's like, this is not humanity. This is like, this is just learning to be naive to the point where we can't think for ourselves and we can't, or even our, our convictions become other people's convictions and we go into groupthink rather than our own think, you know? And now it's not two or three gathered together, it's 500 gathered together or 30 gathered together or 50 gathered and we get into that groupthink. And I don't think this is what we're being called to. You know, um, I don't think we need to build more temples. You know, I don't think we need to be escaping. I don't think we need to hide away from, from the world. If people say, well, we've got to be separate from the world, we're going to do that. You know, just, if you try to love your enemies, you're going to be separate. You know, if you love your enemies' enemies, you're really going to be separate. You know, like, you know, I'm gay affirming, but I've also said positive things about conservatives and I've pissed both sides off. And, and it's very often that now I get more angry friends on my progressive side than I do my conservative side, but luckily I still get the conservative ones because they're the more fun to argue with, um, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> they're easier to argue with often. Um, but unless they're um, uh, Calvinists, those guys are smart, but they're still fun to argue with. Um, but, but, but this idea of like, if you do these things, you're, there's going to be a separation. If you're true to who you are, there's going to be a separation. There's a reason they're doing like a musical. Elton John is writing a musical about my mother as a Christian. Now, most people go, oh, she was so crazy and she wore that makeup and she was so wild. But like, oh, she had a movie out where a woman won an Oscar for pretending to be her. You know, now there's a musical out by the, one of the top musicians in the world, you know, writing songs about her. You know, what does that say? And what does the Bible say? Well, you'll know you belong to me for your love for one another. Why are they doing plays about my mother and movies about my mother? Is because she seemed to love people in a way that people can't grasp because she seemed to love beyond titles, beyond faith, beyond uh, conservative or, or, or progressive or whatever. She just loved people through those lines. And so now people are celebrating her life because they saw this love. Now, if that is what we're known for, for being Christians, and I would say my mom is, is a Christian, you know, um, you know, you can, you can look at people like my mom and what she did and how she loves people, you know, in this country. You can look at uh, Mother Teresa and what she did. I'm not saying they're the same, but I'm just saying, like, you can see people who really love and that they don't. And how you tell that they love is that they don't have one group that they subscribe to only loving. They're not free from doubt. They're not free from the bullshit. They're not free from crying or being silly or being made fun of but they triumph, love triumphs through those life experiences. And that's how you see, yeah, so, so Mr. Rogers, prime example. I would even say Pee Wee Herman, because um, that's my Mr. Rogers. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, so you've got these, 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 these figures 
that people see this, this grace or they see this love that Jesus talks about, this love this, that, that the religion of Christianity talks about here. Um, and funny thing is this too, is all these, neither, none of these, Mr. Rogers, I don't, I mean, he had a studio, <laughs> but um, you know, my mom didn't have a, really have a building at the end of her life. Mother Teresa was all over the place, didn't have a building. I mean, and I'm not saying I'm anti-building at all. Uh, if you got a building, good for you. I'm just saying like how we think about what the church is. And, and, and Jesus is saying it's two or three people. It's people, it's moving out. Side, it's 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 being with people. Um, Pee Wee had his playhouse, I guess. Yes, you're correct. Um, <laughs> the holiest of holies. Um, one more thing, and then I'll let you guys go because we've almost been going for an hour. Um, Mark fifteen. I should get a pulpit. I should also get a couch that doesn't lower over time. Um, it's like memory foam or something. That'll be our next fundraiser, help Jay get a firm couch. Um, Mark 15, where are you? And so here's the, back at the cross with Christ. We're back on the cross. Jesus is crucified. And um, you know, one of the things I'm going to say, just this is totally off the cuff, but one of the things is, I remember one of these, one of these churches that I was really kind of envious over. Um, a friend of mine came to me and was working there, was volunteering there. They used to work with me and they went to work at this church. And I think that was another reason I was like, oh, I'm even losing my staff to these people. You know, and then they came to me and said, hey, uh, I'm coming out. I'm coming out of the closet. And I was like, okay, okay, that's cool. You know, that's great. And he's like, but I don't think my church is going to let me work there anymore or volunteer there anymore. And I'm like, well, you know, I know the pastor. I'll let me meet with him and see what we can do. And uh, I met with the pastor. And the pastor made it very clear that no, he wouldn't do that. And I said, well, if you don't let my friend serve, there's probably, probably done with church, I'd say. Uh, probably done with this faith in a way. And uh, he, his thing was is that his rules were more important than, than the person. I'm just gonna, that's how I feel about it, that his convictions were more important than the person. And I often feel like that's a big test in the, how you love in Christianity is when you start, if you put this in front of people, this book in front of people, um, when you start putting Christianity in front of people, and I know people are like, well, it doesn't say abandon your mother. Just hear me out. People who want to be there and you go, no, you can't be here. No, you can't volunteer here because you're not good enough or because you don't follow the right rules or you don't, that's a law. It just is. This is what laws do. Is they'll say, hey, this is the law. This is the rule. And if you don't meet it, you can't be here. And that's okay. People are free to do that. Again, you know, I spent my years of my life trying to get the church to change their mind on things, and, and they didn't want to, and that's, I guess that's their prerogative. And some did, which was fantastic as well. But this church didn't, and my friend left. And, they, and, I, and, and we stayed friends. We're still friends. Um, but they're pretty much done with the church at that time. I don't know what they're doing now with churches or if that's even in their life. Um, 
but I'm grateful that I was in a place where I was able to say, no, you should, you should break your own rule because people are important because this person is more important than your, your, your theology. Um, they worked for me and they always told me that they were gay and, and, and struggle. And I said, listen, at the time I wasn't, I, I wasn't out as affirming. I wasn't, hadn't come out and said that, but in my head, I told him, I said, listen, if you, uh, my, my idea was like, if you want to be gay, be gay. If you're going to, if you don't want to be gay, then, you know, then you can figure that out. But you're always accepted here. And I'm also grateful that that was part of my work as well. I'm grateful that I became affirming. You know, I'm not going to force anybody to be anything they don't want to be, but I'm going to let people be who they are and, uh, and let them work that out in their own faith and their own understanding, their own tradition and their own walk, you know, um, I just decided that I'm not the indulged judge all. So maybe that's why I don't like being called a pastor because I can't tell people how they have to be or don't have to be. I can just tell people, you're accepted. And that's why I preach grace. That's why I believe in grace. And maybe I'm a preacher and not a pastor. I don't know. But Mark 15, 37. And so then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last breath. And the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, the reason I wanted to share this with you is because the temple and the curtain behind the curtain was supposedly where the holy where the holies were. And, you know, the priest would tie ropes to their leg in case they were in sin and died in the presence of God so they could be pulled out. Um, you know, no one could go behind there except the special priests. You know, the sacrifices were made. You know, this is a special place. That's where God is. God's behind the curtain, you know, very Wizard of Ozzy. And that, so when Jesus dies, the curtain splits. And um, I like how people always talk about how thick the curtain was. So they can be like, God was really like, he was like a power team member. And he ripped that big old thick curtain apart. Um, Jesus, even if it was a paper, the curtain ripping on its own is pretty phenomenal. Um, but what's even more phenomenal is there was nothing behind the curtain. So for me, I always felt like Christ came to let us know, we are not separated. I'm here. I'm going to give you the spirit. You've never really been separated, but I'm going to leave you with the spirit and you're going to be more connected. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to go to this temple. You don't have to have things go behind a curtain. You don't have to reverence a mystery. You know, there's nothing behind it. There's no God gas. There's no every, you know, pair of sunglasses you ever lost. None of that. There is nothing. There's nothing separating you. There's nothing. So you don't have to come to the special building and get the special sacrifices and do the special things and make the curtain rip and sing special songs, singing, you know, my, Jesus is my boyfriend or Jesus is my girlfriend or Jesus is my friend or whatever. You don't have to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Like Paul would talk about the law. You can do it, but if you think it's doing anything for you, that's when it becomes a problem. When you think that it makes you better than somebody else, that's when it becomes a problem. When you think that it's the only way, that's when it becomes a law and a problem and it, you know, and it becomes heresy, really. Um, but we like our traditions. We like our setups. We like to, you know, well, I go in this way and this makes me feel godly. Well, of course it does because that's the tradition of what we say godly is. But what I want to be is like an adventurer and put on my adventure hat and go out and see where God is. You know, and I find that God's in the cracks. God's in the suffering. You know, God's not usually there in the ecstasy for me. And that's okay, because that's, you know, we're all different parts of the body, right? 
And, and when I say God is in the cracks, I mean, it's really that idea of that God is this ground of being, that God is, there's something there. Um, I, and I, it's so funny because I used to get so mad at John Caputo because he says, God does not exist, God insists. And I used to hate that and think it was like some sort of trick on words. And I was like, oh, those philosophers and they're tricky words and it doesn't make any sense. And now it starts to make sense, but it made sense. It's taken me years for it to make sense. So I can't try to make sense to it to you all now because it's taken me because I had to learn, I had to read more, and I had to do more, and I had to put in the hard work. Every time I'd ask Pete to give me an introduction to his work so I could understand it all, he goes, you can't get an introduction to understand it all. You have to do the work. You have to read the books. You have to put in the time. And so that's what I've had to realize. I have to put in the time to get these really tough concepts. So tough that I can't even bring them down to my, you know, I can't bring them down because they're just, I'd have to do like 18 talks just on that. Anyhow. So you see what I'm saying? That curtain is split. There's no separation there. So it's not about the building. It's not about the location. It's not about the community. It's not about these things. And why I brought all this together is I'm saying, look, I've done it. The most successful I think I've ever been in my life was at a time when I thought I wasn't successful at all, <laughs> when I thought everybody else around me was doing it right and I was doing it wrong. And now I look back and go like, oh my God, I was doing it right. And I was in the right neighborhood at the right time in the right place everywhere. And I was a part of a community that I'm grateful to be a part of. And it wasn't a church community. It was just a community. And I was just one of the, one of the people there in the community who happened to run the church rather than, you know, the piercing parlor. Okay. That was it. And we were friends and we spent holidays together and we did funerals together and we grieved together and we celebrated together and we rejoiced together. And we even sometimes prayed together. You know, and we joked together and we made bad jokes together and we did silly things. And, you know, I mean, half the time our staff retreats were so crazy. I was the only sober one there. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, but we were just living life the best we all could coping with what we were doing. And it's so funny now to see some of the people who are on my staff who are like in 12-step programs and things like that because that's where the journey was. And I just was like, you're on a journey. I want to help you on this journey, but I can't make you do this or this or that. And I feel like that comes from this religion. Like, I feel like that's what I've learned from studying grace. You know, before I studied grace, I was the same way. I was like, oh yeah, that guy doesn't need to be here in the church because I thought, I knew I didn't need to be there. So I was like, well, they don't need to be here because they're doing this or they're saying this or they're thinking this. You know, even ratting people out on, oh, pastor, did you see so-and-so do such-and-such? You know, there was a time in my life where I was that way. You know, because I was under the, under, under the understanding that it was all about these rules and regulations and these traditions that we did not break and that we had to have because they were somehow sacred. And then you wake up one day and you go, everything is sacred or nothing is sacred, but the fact is, is either way, it works. You know, so for me, sacred can be a conversation like with my buddy Pete at his place where we can't figure out what to do and we're just having a laugh and we're laughing really hard about dumb shit because we're both so tired that we can't even get ourselves to go to the movie theater or go out. You know what I mean? To do something fun, you know? Or, you know, it might be coming home after a long day or after a good talk and just resting or maybe watching a good movie. You know what I mean? I find... <laughs> You know, sacred, my music is sacred to me. Do you see a lot of Christian bands there? I mean, we got Dr. King there, but, you know, skateboarders and punk rockers and hip-hoppers and <laughs> Sinead. 
and Chris. Yeah, those, those, in some ways, those are the most sacred things to me because these people are tortured individuals dealing with faith and doubt and hope and life and humanity. And I don't want to be a part of a faith that's naive, where I'm hidden away, where I'm behind a curtain, the curtain's split, I can't hide anymore. I'm an introvert, but I still want to hide, so I'm going to hide a lot. But the fact is, is that I think we're just called to be people. So I, I, I think, too, that maybe one of the reasons I gave this talk today was, you know, sometimes I, I worry about doing just, oh, you know, and here's the thing, okay, you know what's great about this curtain being ripped? Then in Romans 8, 31, um, what does Paul say about the love of God? About the love of Jesus. <laughs> what does Paul say in Romans? Nothing can separate you. Not hell, not the heights, not sin, not anything. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Yet we've got preachers, you know, pulling down condemnation on God, and we've got preachers telling people, you know, we've got church people saying, you know, kick your gay family member out, or we've got pastors saying, kick your conservative uh, Trump-supporting family member out and cut them off. You know, I haven't talked to my dad in two years, and it's not up to my own thing. I, you know, it might be because of, he's been sick and he had that, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he had his um, stroke. I don't know. But it's not anything I want. Even when I greatly disagree with him on a lot of things, I still want him in my life. I'm sad. I, I mourn it every day that he's not in my life. I mean, it breaks my heart sometimes. Yeah, my kids don't have a grandfather, and then I don't have my dad. You know, and now Steve's sick. Obviously, I have abandonment issues with life. I've lost a lot of people I love and care about. And so I would, why do this to other people? Why would I return that to other people? Because they don't vote the way I do or because they don't have the sexuality I think they should have. You know, why would I do that? Why do we do that? Because that's not a love that never gives up or never loses faith or is always hopeful that endures. That's not a love that, that's a love that separates. You're saying your politics will separate me from you. Your sexuality will separate me from you. Your religion will separate me from you. I mean, how pathetic and how crazy and how far off track have we gotten as a people who are supposed to follow this guy, Jesus, and then this other guy, Paul, and these other folks giving us these words, telling us never to give up, never lose faith, and to go through this together. Yet, the earliest inconvenience, you know, we get rid of them. I mean, that's why I'm so sad about my progressive brothers and sisters, you know, being very woke and canceling people. You know, it's like, so you're saying whatever you canceled them for is that's where love does not penetrate. Love cannot penetrate past that. Love can't penetrate past a mistake or a stupid tweet or something that happened or a sexual disorder or something that was set off the cuff mean, they were having a bad, whatever. You know, I always think about these people who are going crazy during the pandemic and ripping their masks off and yelling at people and thinking like, you know, that's what they're, they're showing online, you know? And I always think like, no kidding, we were all going crazy. They were just expressing their, their unique way of seeing life and how it was breaking them. And we're saying your brokenness separates you from love. And revolution doesn't want to be a place. 
so, you know, if my conservative friends are right and I end up in hell and God goes, well, you just, you know, you, I just say, tell God I took that whole love shit way too much seriously. <laughs> I don't believe in hell. I don't know if I believe in heaven much anymore. But I believe in living life and living life well, and I believe in following Christ. I believe in following this message, and I have hope. I have a little bit of hope. I have a mustard seed that my mom gave me that I keep inside me that allows me to, when the rubber hits the road and when I don't know what to do about Steve, I'm going to lift up a prayer. If I'm lifting it up to the air, I'm, I'm sending it to God in the ground of being. So I'm just saying it's time for us to be take a radical look at this. And this is me being as radically transparent and honest with you as possible. So as someone on the other side who's been separated from someone they love, don't do it. If these four, if four walls are separating you from loving people, leave. If you're a pastor of a church and you have to let somebody go because of their because you don't agree with certain things, I can't. I'm not going to say if they're harming other people or things like that. Obviously, I'm not saying that. Like, oh, they're killing people. I got to keep them around. I'm obviously not saying that. Or they're touching people inappropriately. I'm not saying that. You know, come on. That's common sense here. But what I'm saying is, if it keeps you from loving people who are trying to live life well and not harming other people. And you're saying, get away, because you know, well, it's, it's a magical sin somehow. If you're doing this, quit. If your denomination makes you do it, quit. Give them the building. Give them the keys. Go somewhere where you can love people radically. And uh, it won't get you rich. Not even close, probably. Um, but it's worth it. It's worth it. So thanks, everybody, for coming to Revolution today. Um, I hope this touched you in a way that, that makes you think differently and makes you understand why Revolution is here and why we feel Reformation is important and why I always ask you guys to share, um, share these talks with other people, you know, to help this church grow a little bit or this community grow, sorry, gathering. That's why we call it a gathering. It's two or three are gathered together. That's why it's Revolution Gathering because there's usually only two or three of us. Um, <laughs> but why, you know, why ask, retweet and, and, and share on Instagram, putting your stories on Instagram, share on your Facebook page, let people know that we're here because I know we're all broke most of the time, but those are things you can do for free that help a group of us have these talks and then maybe go out and live this stuff. And I know you're living it. I know you're doing it. I've seen a lot of your lives change from our conversations and also on the phone. And I know you're doing it. And this is a place to do it. So share it with other people. Help them do it as well. You know, I do believe in that part of my work and that's what I'm called to do. And I almost got an hour and a half today, so I apologize. Um, but it needed to be said. Now, if you are a wealthy millionaire, uh, Bruce Wayne, and you want to donate to Revolution, you can go to revolutionchurch.com and the support button is at the top. We put it at the top just because we do need your support financially to continue to do this. We'd like to grow. We'd like to get better. I'd like to have staff. You know, Josh, who helps out a lot. I'd love to hire Josh. I'd love to hire somebody in this town to help me so we could do more better communication and better podcasts and things like that. And you can support us and get a tax deductible receipt. It's almost December, so go crazy and make a donation and get your tax deductible receipt. All right. Love you guys. Um, we'll see you next week if I don't see you before. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Love you much.
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.